Welcome into the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. My name is Kyle Yates and I am your host. I'm joined as always by Mike Taglier. You can find us on Twitter at KyleYNFL and at Mike Taglier NFL. Tags, the combine is over, man. Did you make it through? I did. I made it through. I also had like a, a breather in between because my son loves monster trucks, as everybody knows. And uh, so we got to go see Monster Jam. And then I came back home and I watched my recorded combine on Saturday and watched it Sunday. And honestly, I'm just excited that we have something else to talk about uh, that we, we have. It's almost like new information. Right. And then we're going to get past this. and then We're going to have free agency coming up in the middle of this month. And it's like this is an exciting time because we've been kind of in a lull, I would say, over the past month, just watching college film and the same things over and over. Uh, so I am definitely ready to talk about something new yeah for sure and it's always important to look back over these events that we go through and to uh to analyze them and kind of glean this information so to help us do that today we brought on paul pertichese of the saturday to sunday football podcast you can find him on twitter at poly 23 ny paul thanks for coming on man Thank you guys so much. Glad to be here. Combines in the rearview mirror. So much to break down and talk about. So it's a pleasure to be on here with you guys. Absolutely. Well, hey, today we're going to uh, be breaking down the combine winners and losers. These guys who saw their stock increase, guys who saw their stock decrease heading into the NFL draft. And so it's in the book. So it's important now to take a look back and give you all a glimpse into how who performed well uh, and who we need to make go back to the tape on here. So what I want to do for this episode is kind of just send this around the room. We're just going to be listing off these guys who we were impressed with here, who kind of popped off the screen, <laughs> those numbers that uh, that kind of shocked us here. And so we're going to be looking at these guys. I'll send it around the room. Paul, since you're our guest, you kind of get to go first here, man. And then we'll go to tags and then I'll, uh, I'll go here and we'll just go around the room as, as many times as we can. Before we move ahead, though, I need to tell you all about this awesome contest we're doing. Right now, thanks to Pristine Auction, we're giving away a signed Marquise Brown Ravens helmet. That's right, just giving it away. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave a review. Then take a screenshot of that review and email it to contest at fantasypros.com. It's that easy. For more details, head over to fantasypros.com contest. Again, a huge thank you to Pristine Auction for making that possible. And speaking of Pristine Auction, I want to make sure that we take a second to thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Pristine Auction has everything you need to fill out your man cave. Their daily auctions have hundreds of signed memorabilia items to choose from that you are going to absolutely want to check out. I was taking a look at some recent items that went, this is insane. An Austin Eckler signed powder blue Chargers jersey went for $46. A Jamal Williams signed Packers mini helmet for just $38. Pristine Auction is the place to go to get your signed, authentic memorabilia of your favorite players at unbelievably affordable prices. It's quick and free to register, so head over to pristineauction.com. That's P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E auction.com. And when registering, enter in Fantasy Pros in the registration code field to receive a $5 credit for your first order. Again, that's pristineauction.com to start building your dream man cave today. Paul, who uh, who elevated their stock? Who had a good day? Yeah, I think the first name I want to bring up is at the wide receiver position, and that's Justin Jefferson out of LSU. He was already a guy who was on the round one, round two border, but to run a 40 time, a 4.43, a 37.5 uh, vert jump, and a 10.6 broad, I think he showed a lot more explosion and athleticism and speed. Everyone knew he was a really refined route runner, very fluid in his movement skills, but he was kind of pigeonholed a little bit as maybe only a slot guy. 
But I think I think this testing kind of showed that that was just a role LSU really asked him to play, and that might be his best role. I mean, I've heard the comparisons to Keenan Allen. I know over at Saturday Sunday, I've mentioned in terms of he reminded me a lot of Chris Godwin, a little bit different body type, but that inside-outside versatility. But this speed really kind of changes the narrative a little bit because now he might be able to do more on the outside and even win more vertically down the field in addition to inside, and maybe he just wasn't asked to do it so much at LSU. I've uh, I'm I'm known as, uh, as someone that maybe sometimes I'm a little in the dark in terms of what people expected, but I remember so Yates and I messaged literally throughout every day pretty much, but the combine even more so because we were talking about the players that were involved in Jefferson's someone that we both like fell in love with while watching him, and and he's like oh this this forty times great for him. I'm like was it really expected that he was going to be like really like bad? I kind of thought he'd be like a high four four guy, maybe a low four five, and uh, so I wasn't really shocked by the time, and it, I think it just comes down to be me, me being out of tune with maybe what others are expecting because what I saw on tape is a guy that he really is a complete receiver. I wanted to see him add some weight onto his frame because I think he's a little thin uh, to absorb some of those hits over the middle of the field, but I think he actually weighed in over what I thought he'd be coming to the combine too. I actually had Justin Jefferson mocked at the end of the first round to the Packers two weeks ago when I put out my first mock draft. So I love Justin Jefferson then. I love him now. This did nothing for me. Like I, I loved him all along. Uh, Yates, did this did this move him up? I know you were already excited about him. Uh, I think I had him as my number four receiver. I think you might have had him. As, did you have him at four or five? I had him at five going into the combine. So with Justin Jefferson, though, it again, and I said this with our last podcast when we went over this stuff, like having someone at five does not mean that I dislike them. You know, this is just a really good class. And so with Justin Jefferson, I really on tape, you did not see him stretching the field. Yes, he could run out of the slot. He could run those deep fades. And there are several examples of it. One that comes to mind immediately is against Texas. Um, there's, you know, he's operating out of the slot there repeatedly and, and scores a touchdown on a pass like that goes up and high points the ball. So I think for me, it was more so a question and kind of getting locked into what other people were thinking that he was going to run. And I really was like, if he comes in and runs a four five, five, I'm good. Like that's perfect. That's where I kind of expected him to be. And that's what I wanted him to be. He comes in and runs a four, four, three. Great. Sign me up. You know, like this is, this is exactly what I wanted to see out of him. And just like you said, Paul, like this kind of exemplifies that he can play on the outside. He can play on the outside. He can stretch the field if need be. And with his ability to get open, my word, just if he gets paired with a quarterback that, you know, is able to find him downfield, this is going to be fantastic for fantasy football. So I think tags, you said you mocked him at the end of the first round there with the combine results, what you saw, you know, when you sit down to do your next mock draft, are you going to be moving him up even further than Packers at 30? I probably am because uh, I think Jalen Rager, we're going to talk about him a little bit later in the show, but uh, I would think that he's going to move down. I wouldn't be shocked if Jefferson goes inside the top 20 picks now. Is it possible that he slides the Packers? Yeah. And I think that he's a perfect fit to them. Uh, he could walk into that like old Jordy Nelson role. He's faster than Jordy Nelson. Nelson was just an extremely smart route runner. And that's what you have in Jefferson too. But knowing you have the speed with it, knowing that he can play the slot, which is another area of need for them, because outside of Devontae Adams, they really have nothing on that team of substance. So I think Jefferson really fits the mold that they need uh, there. Maybe even Rager, if he falls, I think the Packers should be looking at a wide receiver there at the end of the first. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Tags, who did you have up? I want to ask you guys a question before we move on to mine. So both of you guys, if Justin Jefferson, let's pretend that he does follow the Packers. Where would you guys draft him in a redraft league today? Would you draft him? Like, obviously, rookie receivers have a little bit difficult, more difficult time, you know, uh, performing. Last year was kind of uh, an outlier in terms of, like, production because a lot of rookie wide receivers kind of blew the charts. But 
how would you guys feel about Justin Jefferson if he was tied to Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I'll jump in. I would probably say I would look at him as like my fourth wide receiver. I wouldn't want to count on him to immediately be a guy, assuming we're talking about like three wide receiver leagues and a flex. I don't think I'd want him in the starting lineup just yet, but I think his upside in that offense, and because I do think he's one of the more pro-ready I wouldn't be that surprised if he has a better first season than somebody like C.D. Lamb, especially if he's in a better offense. I think he is a little bit more refined than C.D. Lamb. And, you know, C.D. Lamb is coming from the Big 12 and not a lot of defense there. You know, so, I, so I'd, I'd be excited about him. It's always hard for those wide receivers to make the transition. I think Jefferson might find it easier than some. And this year we we did see a lot make a immediate impact in terms of redraft. But I'd probably, you know, be more of like I want him to be my fourth wide receiver and take a wait and see approach to get him in my starting lineup. What about you, Yates? Like uh, put him up against someone like Anthony Miller. Would you draft Anthony Miller or Justin Jefferson? Oh, uh, that's a great question because I think Anthony Miller, the Bears have high hopes for him and moving forward and there's no one else really of note like Riley Ridley Javon Wims in that offense so there's really no one else that I can think take those targets so that's interesting again we're we're betting on this you know or hypothesizing here on this situation of him going to the Packers that offense wasn't fantastic for producing fantasy points right we saw Aaron Jones go off and we saw Devontae Adams certainly you know be fine for fantasy but I wouldn't call it anything you know outstanding so then you add in someone else like Justin Jefferson I don't know I I think I would take Anthony Miller in that situation but again I'm kind of in that same situation with Paul where I'd be like I want him as my four maybe five wide receiver which I think you can get um I think you'd be able to get him at that and so yeah that's someone who I would feel comfortable there with that um with that fifth wide receiver there in that range for sure I just wanted to ask that and so I'll get into my one of my biggest winners of the draft and Donovan Peoples-Jones, I wanted to bring him up because there's a lot of people that are, they weren't so high on him and not necessarily because uh, they didn't think that he was a good athlete, but more so to do with like, they look at college production and I, I I'm, I'm not going to lie about this. I don't look at college production very much. I, I understand that people t- tend to think that just because uh, someone's more talented, they're going to walk into more opportunity. I think it really depends on the situation and playing at Michigan. It's not a pass attack, right? There, he's not going to get a whole lot of opportunities there. Uh, but knowing he went there with his peers, weighed in uh, 212 pounds six foot two 44 and a half inch vertical 4.48 40 11 foot seven inch broad jump I mean this guy jumped out of the gym and like he lit the world on fire and he was he we saw at Michigan that he was this contested catch guy that he could win consistently win those contested catches does this make you guys think that maybe he's more than they were using him at in Michigan what do you think Paul yeah he to me, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a guy that has underperformed. And listen, I'm sure part of it's his own fault, but I think the bigger part has been the offense that he's in, the quarterback play that he's been in. He's a guy that, you know, he was in my top, I think my top 15 in terms of my wide receiver rankings because it is such a deep class, but I was kind of expecting him to go here and be a riser in this process. So I was excited to see him perform up to the expectations I thought. I think he was it locked in to be a day two pick. And I just think there were some people maybe who didn't want to recognize that who really do look a lot more at the production and the market share and, and, and stuff like that. But I think the NFL really looks at the context of things a lot more than maybe, you know, the talk is on, on Twitter on a regular basis. And I think they understand the situation that he was in and the opportunity or lack there of opportunity that he got. And he could be one of those guys. And it's not often that we say this, who could be a better NFL player than college player. But I do think that's serves him well and I do think that that statement is going to be you know 
bear out with Donovan Peoples-Jones. So I like his body control, his ball skills, his ability to adjust. I think we're going to see him be a much different player when he gets an opportunity, you know, at the NFL level and he's playing in a different style of offense with a with better quarterback play. So I, he was definitely on my list as, as a winner as well. Yeah, this is what Donovan Peoples-Jones needed to show up to the combine and do because the tape is inconsistent. The tape isn't great. And so, but what you can sell to NFL teams is, well, I'm ultra athletic. And so from there, an NFL team is going to take their, you know, shot on Donovan Peoples-Jones and say, okay, well, the the traits are there. We can iron out some of the kinks. We can get them into our building and say, and, and see definitively, okay, was it just based on how terrible Shea Patterson was or how, you know, terrible the scheme was at Michigan? Or, you know, is this something where, you know, we just need to wait and develop him? Uh, so I think for him, you, you don't make those kind of numbers, right? Like those numbers, type of numbers don't come around often. And so for him to go to the combine and do that, that's what he needed to do to be able to show NFL teams, hey, you can take a chance on me. If he had jumped at like a 35 or a 37, you know, inch in the vertical, at that point, his draft socks. It's day three for sure. Right. Because the tape suggests day three. However, when you get this guy who can now back up, you know, and say, okay, take your chance on me in the fourth round, third round of the NFL draft, you're betting on athleticism and it can translate down the road. So yeah, for me, Donovan Peoples-Jones was a definite riser. Yeah. I don't know if he, he moves past like the third round, which doesn't mean he's going to get opportunity right out of the gate. Like some of these other guys that we're not, we don't need to talk about Jerry Judy. We don't need to talk about CD lamb. These guys were already going to be first round picks. They were already going to be top 15 picks. Those guys are gonna have the most impact. I don't think Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to have an impact in terms of like redraft leagues in year one. Is there someone that maybe you think stood out at the combine that you think could have an impact on day one uh, Yates when you watched? I don't know if I would necessarily go as far as day one, but he's been a super high, fast riser throughout this process. And that's Denzel Mims out of Baylor. For me, when I watched Mims's tape, I saw the potential, but I also saw the inconsistencies. And so for him, he showed up to the senior bowl and he received great reports. Um, everything I heard coming out of the senior bowl was that he played really, really well, did really, really well. And then he comes up to the combine at 6'3", 207, listen to these numbers, a 4.38 40-yard dash, 16 reps on the bench press, which it, it's strong for a wide receiver, um, but then 38.5 inches in the vertical jump, 131 inches in the broad jump, but this is the one that got me, a 6.66 seconds three-cone drill. Like that is moving through the three cone. And so now you're saying, okay, this guy has great top end speed, but he also has elite agility. And so now what can we do with him? We get him into our offense. And so I think his stock is soaring through the roof because now this is a player where we get him into our building and, you know, in day, day two, I think he solidified himself in day two. I don't know where exactly, but he's going to fall into some favorable situation where we could be looking at Denzel Mims as potentially an early round two dynasty rookie pick. So I don't know if he'll have immediate value in redraft leagues right out of the gate, but Paul, when you watched when you watched Denzel Mims at Baylor, did you see kind of those same things? Did you have kind of those same concerns? And then what's your impression of him at the combine? Yeah, so to me, I saw a guy who could obviously win vertically down the field. He had that speed, he had that explosion, he had the body control, the ability to adjust and all that stuff. And he kind of showed that at the Senior Bowl, his one-on-ones, he was just winning them consistently there. So then he gets to the combine and I'm blown away a little bit by the 
you know, the straightaway speed and stuff like that. But it wasn't that surprising. I didn't know how fast he would be, but I knew he would test well there and the jumps and stuff like that. But I didn't see the change of direction stuff coming in as low as it did. Because when I did watch him on film, I almost kind of felt a little bit the same way I felt about DK Metcalf last year. That DK Metcalf was really good at a, at a limited few routes, and he dominated on those routes. And I kind of thought at Baylor, they used Denzel Mims. I thought he had a limited route tree, but the, the routes he was asked to run, he was very good at them. He was very proficient. And I saw that translating in that capacity. I didn't see a lot of like separation quickness and him running the full route tree. And I still think even though he scored well on the change of direction drill I do think there's still some refinement there but I do see him maybe having an impact because there's a there's a couple of routes I think he runs really well and if an NFL team just asks him to really focus on those as he continues to develop his game I think he's someone that his stock is clearly on the rise and I don't know if you happen to see it but Daniel Jeremiah put out his latest mock draft post combine and and DJ always says the the mock drafts is what he's hearing not based on his personal rankings and he had Denzel Mims at the end of round one. I forget what team it was to, but that just tells you that, you know, maybe, you know, it was at the back end, but it could just tell you that the lot of buzz and a lot of what he was hearing there, that now we're talking about this guy as maybe a round one, round two guy. So that's that in its own right. I mean, he had him in the first round. He didn't have Rager. He didn't have T. Higgins, I don't, I don't think. So he had now Denzel Mims pushing to that level in terms of the pecking order. And if that happens, you know, it's going to be hard to keep him out of, you know, the late round one or early round two of dynasty rookie drafts for sure yeah no no I mean it's so weird and this is part of the reason that I think that there's a middle ground because there's some people that that think that the combine is worthless they're like you know what I see on tape is what matters and then there's some people that said your your eyes will lie to you and I think there's there's a there's there's something in between there right because my notes on Mims were almost like Paul it's almost like they contradicted each other with with mine and yours I thought he had suddenness in his routes off the line of scrimmage I thought he had burst off the line of scrimmage I thought he would do well in the three cone drill but I did not think that he had great long speed he did have he does take long strides and and my note said it allows him to separate more than you'd expect despite him not having maybe that long speed that I thought and to see him running like a 438 I'm like wow like so he does have that and I thought he does have suddenness there are areas of his game that he has some growing to do for sure but I, I believe he he looks the part he's built the part he's obviously athletic enough to play the part and if he's going to get drafted late first round early second round I'll even say by the end of the second round, that means this kid's going to get an opportunity right away. You might look at a team like the Bills taking a shot on him because he's not that John Brown receiver where John Brown's kind of like that. He's a smaller guy. I think they need a bigger guy, a guy that could be a presence in the red zone. And Mims, I believe at 6'3", 207 pounds, he could be that guy. So that could be a team that you're looking at to, to maybe draft Denzel Mims or even someone like Donovan Peoples-Jones like later in the draft because they need to get Josh Allen a bigger target because Cole Beasley and John Brown, while they are good receivers, they're not big. They're not a big bodied receiver. And they were trying to do that with Kelvin Benjamin, but we all know the the tragic ending to that story. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Paul, who do you, who do you have up next? Who uh, impressed you? So we'll stay with the wide receiver position. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Chase Claypool. He's a guy from Notre Dame. Obviously, he was in that big mix of guys that were being rumored to be day two guys. But, I mean, there's like 12 to like 20 names in that in that mix. And I think he definitely helped his cause here at the Combine. I mean, coming in 6'4", 238, there was a lot of talk earlier in the week of the Combine that some teams were maybe asking him to do the tight end drills. And I always, kind of, I always found that a little funny because if he was a tight end, we would basically just say he's a big wide receiver. And then he's a big wide receiver that they were just asking to make a move tight end. You know, basically, you know, like whenever 
Evan Ingram is coming down and stuff. Oh, he's basically a wide receiver. Well, if that's who Chase Claypool was being compared to, we'd basically say he's a big wide receiver, uh, you know, just playing tight end. Uh, but I, I thought he had good athleticism for a man his size. But I thought that was going to be like 4-5, four, 4-5-2, five, four, five, kind of like Michael Pittman, another guy who I thought helped his cause. But that's kind of where I thought Chase Claypool's athleticism and, and speed was. I wasn't expecting a 4-4-2 four, four, from him with a 40.5 vert and 10-6 broad. I mean, those are really astounding numbers. This is two years in a row now, and Notre Dame wide receiver goes to the combine. Last year, Miles Boykin and now Chase Claypool and just really shatters, I think, expectations of what people – you know, thought of him going in. So whatever a team wants to do with him, if they want to make him a big slot, if they want to use him as a move tight end, I think he showed now he's versatile that he could basically line up outside if you want him to. He can line up inside. He can be a big slot or a move tight end. And he, he's a guy that NFL teams are going to love. He's a great special teams player as well. And I know, you know, that's just something that I bring up because I do think it matters to NFL teams that it could just elevate his stock. And elevated stock means higher draft capital, more opportunity to show your, you know, to, to meet that draft capital. So he was a guy that I knew he was going to test out pretty good for a man his size and frame the weight adjusted the size adjusted scores I thought were going to be really good for him but I didn't see 442 when I watched him you know I still think he's got some refinement in his routes and some separation quickness getting in and out of those but I mean with his body size and frame and to have that speed just in his back pocket to me it, I think he's pushed his way into round two when before the combine, I would have said, I think he's more of a round three guy. I thought he was going to go in the top 100, but I think he's probably pushed his way into the latter part of round two, maybe even mid round two. But again, it's so hard with this wide receiver class and so deep. I think it kind of depends like when the run starts, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. And I think with Claypool, it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation because, again, I don't think he was someone who, like you said, Paul, I don't think we were really expecting anything huge, but he comes to the combine and he absolutely blows it up. And now he's on the radar, right? And he's potentially even on the fantasy football radar where we're looking at him if he falls into a, the right situation. So let's take this, for example, let's say uh, Washington. You know, they have a need at the tight end position now with Jordan Reed um, being released. Okay, so now Claypool goes there in the second or third round, maybe even the fourth. I don't think he falls to the fourth. But do we look at him in fantasy, like in dynasty rookie drafts? And if so, where? Tags, what do you think? I'm not. I mean, he's one of those guys. So I'm glad you brought him up because like a lot of people asked me because I came up with an article today that had the risers and the fallers of the combine and I didn't put him in there. And someone said that I was out of my mind to not put him in there. And I think that I think they were right in the aspect that he probably should have been there, considering he he scored like a 99th percentile speed score, 92nd percentile uh, burst score. He was a lot faster than I thought he was going to be. Like from what I saw on tape with him, I said that he looked like a smaller tight end. He lacked any sort of a burst or uh, with a wide receiver, you want to see suddenness in the, in their play, and I didn't see it with him. And if you started looking at him as like a tight end, I might look at him differently. Uh, but knowing that the free agent class of tight ends is so good. I don't know if any of these tight ends are going to walk into a spot where they're not pl where they're playing right away. I didn't have Claypool as a as a guy that should go in the top three rounds prior to the combine. Uh, I'm going to go back and rewatch him because obviously there there may be something I missed because again when we're trying to fly through you know 200 prospects before the combine we can miss things and that's why it's like these things pop up and there's some a few defensive players we're not going to talk about today but they popped up and I'm like wow I need to go back and rewatch them because maybe I missed something. Uh, he's kind of one of those players that I have to go back and rewatch but from what I did watch I, I just my, my finishing line on him was I don't see anything in here that suggests that he's going to be a playmaker in the NFL. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's it's definitely going to be interesting where he ends up. 
and that can dictate the entire conversation. If he falls behind, yeah, th- I mean, we've talked about that before. Where like like landing spot that absolutely matters more than I think most people want to admit. And and yes, if he fell in a situation where it's like he's drafted and the Redskins don't, you know, they don't sign another tight end, then obviously you'd want to look at him and say, I think there is more value than even I gave him. You know, right. And I think the conversation of landing spot it matters with some of these later guys with guys like Jerry Judy or CD Lamb. Like I think they're landing spot proof. I think wherever they land you know, they're going to be fine. (laughs) They're going to be good for fantasy football. But when we're talking about these later guys, that's where, you know, we start to get into some of those more like interesting situations and scenarios there. Now, before we move on, I want to tell you about Thrive Fantasy. It's an awesome game concept that I know you guys are going to love. Come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this PGA season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props, and this is the great part. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in their respective sport. Choose five out of the ten player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has new contests for each day of the tournaments, so don't sweat your golfers ruining your weekend by not making the cut. Thrive has over $10,000 guaranteed in prizes weekly with contests for PGA, NBA, and eSports. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store, or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Use promo code PROS, P-R-O-S, when you sign up today and you will receive a free $5 credit to play with. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. I think we're up with you tags. Who is another player who impressed you here? All right, I'm going to jump positions, uh, and I'm going to go to the guy that absolutely destroyed the running back position, and I, I, I'm, it's not Jonathan Taylor. Now, Jonathan Taylor was a riser, but A.J. Dillon, okay, there, were, there was talk about him becoming a fullback entering the NFL because he's a big dude. Like, you watch him, he's 247 pounds, and you're like, the NFL just isn't made for a guy like that anymore. He's a bruiser. He's this. He's that. Well, he goes out there at 247 pounds, and he runs a 4-5-340. He goes out there and jumps 41 inches in the vertical, best at the running back position. And then he the broad jump, a full three inches better than any other running back that took part in that. 23 reps in the bench. Like, do we have to rethink A.J. Dillon as a running back? Like, do we look at him? My <laughs> What I wrote on A.J. Dillon was I said that <laughs> he's, uh, he's like Leonard Fournette without the long speed. And I know that like it's going to get some laughs because Leonard Fortnite has been somewhat of a disappointment to me. I expected a lot more out of him uh, coming out. We haven't seen that long speed. He hasn't had the vision or maybe even the offensive scheme to get through that initial 10 yards to see that open field. But A.J. Dillon seems like a slower Leonard Fournette. But the 4-5-3-40, it obviously suggests he's not Leonard Fournette. Uh, but at the same time, all these other measurements, he's explosive. Is there room in today's NFL for him? That's what I ask you guys. Like, if he lands in a spot, let's say that Miami waits on running back and they take A.J. Dillon and pair him with, like, a pass-catching back. How do you guys feel about A.J. Dillon in Dynasty? A.J. Dillon was a guy that I've been a big fan on, and I was a little bit on an island. He's been my number six running back. I think the top five is pretty pretty well established that most people I know Zach Moss is in there for some people but most people you know obviously have the Swift the Dobbins the Edward Tolaire uh, Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers that that is seems to be the consensus top five if you polled a lot of people and then I think it really is up for grabs after that with with Zach Moss being high on a lot of people's lists but I've had AJ Dillon there established as my number six guy and 
you know, going into the combine, I didn't think anything was going to move that. And he's still not moving because I still like the, the, the top five guys better because I think they're more well-rounded. But Dylan, I think for sure, has a place in the NFL. Is he, is he the prototype for today's modern-day NFL? No. And you got to know what you're getting in A.J. Dillon. You're not going to get a guy who's going to create a lot for himself if you have a poor offensive line, you know, or, you know, he stopped and, you know, a defender gets into the backfield. You know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to help out much on third downs. Could he maybe catch a check down pass or something like that? Sure. But he is a really good runner in terms of his power, his contact balance, his short area burst. And if he picks up steam, see, I wasn't surprised by the 40. You know, I actually was a guest on a podcast last week, the Rookie Fever podcast. And I said, and this was literally the day before the combine started. And I was like, people are going to be listening to this probably either during the combine or post combine. And I was like, I think he's going to run a sub four five. He was on Bruce, you know, Bruce Feldman's freak list before the season started. And, you know, Bruce Feldman's not putting him on that list if he doesn't have some pretty good intel that he's going to blow up, you know, different aspects of the combine. I didn't know if it was going to translate to the 40 as much as the jumps, but it did. And I do think if you compliment him well, you know, I know I was talking to Sig Bloom on Twitter about A.J. Dillon the other night, and we were throwing around some landing spots. And we said, obviously, the obvious one is Tennessee if they move on from Derrick Henry. He would fit well in that offense in that scheme we were saying maybe buffalo to complement singletary you know big power bruising back in buffalo you know in the winter would make some sense so there was a couple different spots you know i even threw out there maybe in day three carolina to give them another running back to maybe take some of the wear and tear or if christian mccaffrey and obviously those landing spots are all very different in terms of what his fantasy capacity would be but i could i could see a scenario where he is now a maybe he sneaks into the back end of one of the top 100 so maybe Maybe he's a late round three pick. I still think as much as I like him, he's still probably penciled for round four. But I think there's a role for him in the NFL. And I think he helped his cause here. And even if he's a round four guy, I think he's going to get an opportunity to maybe to work his way up to, you know, a decent role in an offense. It just depends on that landing spot, how much of a role. Yeah, I think the conversation of him moving to fullback has been tabled uh, with those numbers. I still have my concerns, especially with his start stop ability in his burst. So I think for him, he needs to end up in a downhill running scheme where if you're going to be asking him to run inside zones and to be able, or, you know, traps or to be able to start and stop quickly. And I think you're, you're not going to be utilizing him the right way. Um, for, for me, he's someone with change of direction too. kind of struggles with that. And we even saw that in the combine drills a little bit too. Yeah. He, he spun out of a couple of them, but you know, for him to go laterally doesn't really happen as naturally. So I think he's someone who kind of like a Derrick Henry though, he gets a head of steam and it's like, I don't want to tackle that dude. That dude's running at me at two forty-seven. Like I don't want to tackle him. So I think he's going to be very limited with his options as far as like what could be fantasy relevant. You know, where, yeah, like I said, downhill running scheme. Okay, well, that takes away a ton of teams in the NFL. Okay, well, then you need someone who is going to be willing to give him the ball a ton. Okay, well, then, you know, in the in the running game. Because, again, like you mentioned, Paul, he's not going to be someone who contributes, you know, heavily in the receiving game. So it's like these different things pile up with A.J. Dillon. But we're talking about him in a different breath than we were before the combine, which I think is great for his stock. And But now it's all going to be, okay, where does he end up? And what can his outcome be? Um, For me, I'm going to bring up another player here. That's Adam Troutman out of Dayton. Tight end. And for me, his 40-yard dash isn't necessarily super impressive. 4.8, it'll play. But for me, that wasn't something when watching his tape that I was super impressed with. Right where I was like, I don't think he has super great breakaway speed. For me, what impressed 
uh, me on when watching his tape was his fluidity and movement and change of direction. And that showed up in his three cone at six foot five, 255 pounds. Adam Troutman ran a 6.78 three cone drill. And so for me, that shows elite agility and elite change of direction. And so for me, he moved up in my rankings because he showed that what I saw on tape, he backed it up here at the combine. Now, again, coming out of Dayton, the level of competition isn't exactly, you know, high tier. And so I'm interested to see, you know, what you guys think about Adam Troutman, especially his, you know, combine performance. Where are we at with him now? Paul, I'll go to you first. What's what's your thoughts here on Adam Troutman? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Adam Troutman. He was my number one tight end going into the combine. Oh, okay, uh, awesome. Yeah, so he was my number one. Then I had the Bryant guys and then uh, Cole Komet. But to stick on Troutman, I was, yeah, I think the 4.8 was about what I expected. I was kind of hoping maybe for a little bit better, maybe like a 4.74, 4.75. Uh, so, but as you saw on film, I don't think that's his, you know, I don't think he has that, you know, top level speed, but the movement skills is what really impressed me. And you, you don't see a lot of tight ends and I understand it was a lower level of college, but you don't see a lot of tight ends having to deal with double teams regularly. He was the offense for his program and he was constantly, you know, dealing with double teams. And obviously the level of caliber play that he was going against isn't an NFL caliber of defender, but it just showed that he was able to overcome that win in, you know, in spite of that and I like the movement skills you know he the change of direction stuff were even was even better than I think I thought he was going to test out but I'm not that surprised with it because as you said it was that fluidity uh it was that you soared at in this tape and then all the reports since the senior bowl were that you know he really impressed down there people said they came away more impressed too with his blocking something that you didn't really get a chance to see on the film and you know because they just didn't ask him to do that he was their primary receiver but you know all the people you know who uh, who I really rely on in terms of you know the Dane Bruglers of the world who are reporting you know everything from they've seen at the senior bowl was that he was really holding his own so he's a little bit more of a complete tight end than I think just watching his highlights and his game film from Dayton would show you because you know he just wasn't asked to do that so for me I, I think his stock is up I actually think he's in a race with Cole Komet now to be the first tight end taken actually on you know in the NFL draft I think to me he has a lot of Dallas Goddard in him in terms of I think that's the type of player he can morph into Dallas Goddard we had questions about whether or not he would be a great blocker he became that once we saw it and he was asked to do that at the NFL level I think Trapman can get to be a good or at least functional blocker and have that pass catching upside yeah, I was more worried on Troutman as a blocker. Uh, that was why his like stock was going to fall with me. We knew that the traits, like the, I think he was expected, as you mentioned, to do a little bit better athletically. But in the drills, he did look fluid, and I think we should have expected that. He came to college as a quarterback. Um, he's still learning the tight end position, and uh, we know that athletically, like to be as big as he is, to move as well as he does, that's 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 something that teams are going to covet. But I don't see why they would pass on someone like Bryson Hopkins, who he also can't block, but um, he moves a bit more. He's been playing the position for longer. He can probably contribute I would think that Troutman is going to latch on with a team that probably has a tight end in place already and that he's going to kind of be a depth guy where maybe the the Steelers are able to get him uh, a little bit later I I don't I mean this is the first time I'm hearing someone say Troutman that high so maybe you have him going in round one or two Um, I had him falling into maybe that third fourth round range Uh, so I didn't I mentioned him on our on our dynasty podcast that we talked about our favorite and I said Troutman was someone I wanted to shout out because I feel like the potential is there but 
but I think it's still there's still going to be some development coming from Dayton and um, obviously still learning that tight end position. If I could just jump in again, I, I agree that he should be a third round guy. That's where I have him. I don't have I don't have anybody in this tight end class, to be honest with you, if I was. If I was the decision maker, I don't think there should be a tight end taken in round one or round two. I think a lot of these guys are, in terms of what you prefer, round three and round four, I think should be the sweet spot for probably the top five to eight tight ends, to be honest with you, on the board. And I I, I like Trapman's upside the most. I could see someone... Cole Komet tested out a lot better athletically than I think anybody expected. So I think he probably is going to be the first name off the board coming from a bigger program. It sounded like he was high on most people's boards uh, in the NFL circles prior to this. Uh, but I think Trapman's now in that mix to be one of the top tight ends taken. And, but I do think it probably should not be in the top 50. I think we're, I think all these guys should definitely be round three and a lot in the top around four. It's a great clarification. All right, guys, let's move on to who saw their stock decline over the weekend in Indianapolis here. So I'll turn it right back around to you, Paul. Who Who is someone who stood out to you where you're like, man, that just didn't match up with what I saw on tape? Who's seeing their stock decline here? One guy I want to bring up, and it's a little bit off the radar, but KJ Hill, the wide receiver out of Ohio State. I, I liked him a lot on film, and this is going back from last summer when I watched him, and you know he's a guy that just always seems to be open in that Ohio State offense, and I always thought he was a quicker than fast guy, but I still thought, like I didn't think he was going to be a blazer like Terry McLaurin last year or anybody like that, but I thought he was going to be a guy that was maybe in that you know 4-4-5-ish area, you know 4-4-5 to 4-5, and I was like, if that's where he comes in, I think that's good enough. I like his separation quickness I like his route running you know the reports on him you know down at the senior bowl were really strong that he you know people were struggling to cover him and then he he runs a four six and I do think that I think that hurts him because you know for the style of player his he's not a guy who's going to win with physicality and you know jump balls and, and stuff like that so I think for him he needed to show a little bit better in the speed component for me to potentially be around three pick I thought he was on that round three round four border and and I think that's where he was a little bit and again that number goes like 25 deep and you know as some of these guys are saying there are some people who think there's 25 to 27 guys that could be graded as top 100 guys and I kind of thought maybe KJ Hill was in that mix of 25, 26 wide receivers that could potentially be in that conversation. But I was a little disappointed in that 40 time that I think he's a guy who now pushes in this deep of a class. I think he pushes to date three now, and I don't think the top 100 is really realistic after he runs a 4-6. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, with KJ Hill, it was someone whose tape I really liked. But again, that 4-6 was just not where I wanted it to be. And so, yeah, I agree with you, Paul. I think his, his stock's declining. I'm glad that you brought him up because I definitely didn't have him on my on my list here, but I'm glad that you brought him up. All right, Tags, what about you? I mean, this one pains me to say, and I'm not giving up on him as a prospect, but it definitely hurt his stock, was Quintez Cephas with the 4 7 I knew you were going to go with him. <laughs> I mean, I, I still love the player. I really do. And I, I'm really hoping that this doesn't bury his stock because as we know in the NFL, if, if you're not taken in the even, you know, we'll say the top four rounds to get to move the, your way up the depth chart is going to be extremely tough. And uh, this reminds me a lot of Auden Tate uh, a couple of years ago. Auden Tate was someone that I actually liked more than most coming into the combine. I felt like he was a, a guy that was great in contested catch situations, wasn't necessarily the best separator. And I'm not comparing him as a player to Cephas, but it's more about he ran a four six eight and it buried his stock. He dropped down draft boards. He didn't go. He wasn't drafted until the seventh round. And we had to watch how many injuries had to take place in the Bengals this year for him to get an opportunity. And then all of a sudden, people are like, 
well, this Auden Tate guy is not bad. And that's how I feel. It's like Cephas is a better football player to me than Auden Tate. But if he's drafted in the sixth or seventh round, that's going to be a real big issue for him to try and get playing time. So unfortunately, he's going to fall off the redraft radar altogether because of this. Uh, but he's still somebody that I look forward to getting late in dynasty drafts just because this is a player I do believe in. So I, I'd be, I, Paul, I'm curious because I've talked with Yates about this. How do you feel about Cephas as a player? Um, I had him as a top 10 wide receiver uh, coming into this, and I'm I'm not going to shy off that because he ran a 4.73, but I do know that he's not going to be drafted as a top 10 wide receiver. Yeah, Cephas is a guy, he's not he's not in my top 10, uh, but he's a guy that I did like a lot on film. And he's a guy that, you know, I think when you watch him, to me, I envisioned his role as a big slot at the next level. And maybe he could do maybe a little bit of a Z flanker position on the outside as well. But I thought he was a guy who was going to have to win with his play strength, his toughness, his physicality. I thought he showed good physicality, not only during the route and at the catch point, but then I thought he showed it after the catch as well. And he was a guy who could pick up yak after the catch, but it wasn't really in the traditional way of using speed and agility it was more with that strength and power you see it from like an Anquan Bolden or an AJ Brown and I thought he had some of that and his body control his ability to adjust so I'm not giving up on him because again I didn't I thought he would maybe be a 4-6 guy I, I or high four fives like four five nine or four six somewhere in that range so it was a little definitely a little slower than I anticipated but in the role that I envision him I still think he's a guy who can be productive at the next level but as you said it really opportunity is so much sometimes you know associated with draft capital and it's really hard for these guys if they don't have much draft capital especially round six round seven to really ever get an opportunity so i think that's the issue before the combine i thought he could i actually had him as a again in that mix of that round three round four border that if you were going to try to come up with those 25 27 names that people like you know mel kuyper and daniel jeremiah said could potentially be in the top 100 mix i definitely had him in that group I don't know what this does for his stock. I would say probably the top three rounds is unrealistic. I'm hoping for round four, worst case scenario, round five. I mean, I think it was Jeffrey Akuda who's the number one cornerback in this class. Somebody asked him. I, I, I don't know who it was that asked. I already know where you're going with that. And I, and I, it's something you have to think about you're in like just building on this. I told, I know it's a totally different player, but Joe Burrow, they asked him who's the best football player he ever played with. And he said, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, like hands down. So it's like, I actually take stock in that when, when a player play like, and he's played with Jamar chase, like that dude is going to be the one one pick. We know that. So I actually put stock into this, like in terms of the Okuda thing, love, love that you brought that up. I totally forgot about it. Yeah. I mean, they asked Okuda who was the toughest opponent you ever faced and, you know, or had a cover one-on-one and obviously Okuda's covering the best, you know, every single week. And he said it was Quintus Cephas. I mean, that should speak volumes. This is a guy who people are comparing to be a shutdown corner on a level of a Patrick Peterson or, you know, a Gilmore. And he said that this is the guy. So like, I think some stock should be put in that. And some guys just are better football players than obviously combine testers. And I think Cephas, you know, it could be that guy and you know again I, I think worst case scenario you know he's a guy you know who you know, like a Quincy and Nunwa I think I think that to me is a guy he could be if given an opportunity and I think that would be like the floor but again it all really depends on how much opportunity and leeway he gets yeah that's going to be the big thing with with Cephas and again I'm in the same boat as you guys I'm not giving up on him as a player as a prospect but it is going to be very difficult for him to 
get that opportunity. It could be something where he lands as the fourth or fifth wide receiver on a team and then has to wait for an injury to, you know, crack the lineup and kind of like, you know, like you were saying tags with Auden Tate there. Um, for me, a player who I was pretty disappointed in and who I think we're seeing their stock plummet is Savan Ahmed out of Washington uh, running back. He was someone who I was really, really high on as far as like enjoying his tape. I didn't have him ranked super high because of his size and his limitations, but I thought that his juice, his top end speed on tape, um, his footwork is outstanding. This was just a guy that I really enjoyed watching. And so for me, um, coming out of high school too, Savan Ahmed was clocked at a 4.3240 yard dash in that class with Cam Akers. Like he was, he was one of the top, uh, if not the top, you know, uh, fastest running back there. So with that four, three, two times. So, and that showed up repeatedly on tape. And so then we get to the, the combine and I'm like, I'm going, all right, I'm, we're going to see Savon Ahmed, you know, blow some people's minds here. He might actually run the fastest 40 yard dash here. And he shows up and he runs a four, six, two at five eleven, one 197 pounds. That's just not going to work, you know, for his size and what he, you know, needs to be at the NFL level. It's just not going to work. And so for me, Savon Ahmed was someone who I was really, really disappointed in. And at this point, I don't know if he even gets drafted. Paul, do you have any thoughts on, you know, where we could see Savon Ahmed actually get drafted, if at all? Yeah, I think he's a late round guy now. I think he's around six, round seven guy. But I, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if he is a priority free agent now. I think in terms of college film, I think Miles Gaskin was way superior. Uh, and then we'll look where he went and fell in the draft as well from the same program. So yeah, he needed that calling card. There were times that you watch him on film and, and you thought that there was a lot of explosion and bursts, but he's a smaller guy. So like, he's not a great receiver. He showed improvement there this year. So he's not even really something that like, he's this really good refined, you know, receiver that you can say like, oh, that's his calling card. That's what's going to get him drafted I don't think he's a guy that teams are going to look at and think is very good in pass protection he's he doesn't run like you know a lot of routes out of the backfield this year he showed improvement in that regard but it was mostly just on short stuff check down stuff so I think he needed a good combine to maybe be around four round five guy and now to put that number on tape at his size and frame I think it pushes him to the later parts of the draft if not like you said completely undrafted Yep, that's where I'm at with him too. Uh, I think you guys covered on there. Uh, he's looking for that timeshare role, and if you, and if you land in the sixth, seventh round, it's going to be really tough for you to get there. It's, it reminds me of someone like James Williams. Uh, if you guys remember him, uh, some people liked him during the draft process, and then he kind of fell in the draft, and then he was just trying to fight to stay on a practice squad. I don't. It just never happened. So uh, yeah, I don't. I, unfortunately, I think that that it kind of tr crushed it. And it's funny, Yates. I knew you kind of liked him, and then when we saw that he was one of those guys we were talking about. We're like four six. Wow, couldn't believe that. I mean. Can we roll into another guy that I wanted to bring up and Jalen Rager? I still like him as a player, but I would be lying if I would say I was shocked when I saw his 40 yard dash come up. Is he someone that put on too much weight? Because when he weighed in at 206, a lot of people are like, oh, wow, he's going for that, that round one conversation and he's trying to fight for one of those top receiver spots. He wants to shows that, show that he's durable. And people talked about him like a low 4-3, high 4-2 guy. And then we see him pop up in the four fives. Uh, Paul, what did you think about Jalen Rager? Do you think that he's someone that hurt his draft stock where he's going to fall out of that first round conversation? Do you believe in him as a player? Do you think he added too much weight? What do you think the deal was during the combine? 
Yeah, so he's right now my number five wide receiver. I'm a fan of his game. I think he's on that round one, round two border. I do agree with you. I think his playing weight was probably more like 195. And I think he wanted to get over that 200. And in particular, probably he was aiming at that 205 number because it just looks better. And I think he's more of a guy that is going to be playing weights probably like at that 195. I bet when his pro day comes around, I would bet we see more of a 4.4, maybe even a 4.39. If he gets weighed back in, I wouldn't be surprised if that number is down to like in the mid-190s, more of what he does. Because I think at this point now, he wants to show that he has that, that breakaway speed. I think he has great play speed. I think you mentioned it on the last podcast. I've been comparing him all year and since the summer to Brandon Cooks. And that's what I that's who I envision him. I mean, Cooks had 4.3340 yard dash speed, but Cooks also had the ability to go up and get it overall good athleticism, even at the catch point for a smaller guy in Cooks. And I think Rager has that. So I'm still intrigued by him. To me, I, don't, I almost cared less about the 4.47 because I think that's still plenty fast. And I think the weight impacted that. I was actually more surprised at the change of direction drills because that's the thing that that's the thing that left me scratching my head with him because I could get past the 4.47 because I do think he's a guy who could win at all three levels and 4.47 still good enough to win vertically. Yeah, I was just I was just about to say we need to keep in in mind and context just how fast 447 is. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's lower than expectations, right? That what we had for Rager, but yeah, four four seven is still pretty fast. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> Just wanted to interject that. No, yeah, I, I think I think it's a really good point because I mean, you started hearing people say, "Well, maybe him or Rugs, who's faster?" And I never really thought that was a legitimate question. I always thought Rager was going to be more in that four three eight to four four two range. So I I, I was. I, did, I would never have taken like over that number though and, and guessed 4.47, but I do think he's a guy that I still am a fan of his overall game. I'm surprised about the change of direction drills because I feel like when you see him in the open field or you see him as a returner, I feel like he does have that change of direction, that stop-start acceleration, the ability to do that. So it's one of those things that maybe he didn't just practice that as much as maybe he should have maybe though he thought like he could you know you know get away with his natural skill in that and I think a lot of these combine drills it's like you know practice is what you need to do to really ace these things and maybe some guys just prioritize other things over it but I don't see a guy when I watch his film that you know struggles in changing directions and and we kind of had the same conversation a couple years ago with Dalvin Cook like and and people freaked out over Dalvin Cook's change of direction drills and how poor they were and you know that's not an issue for him either at the next level in terms of stopping starting cutting ability I don't think it would be much of an issue for Jalen Rager in this class could could the combine maybe push over now Justin Jefferson over him? Yeah, I think it probably does. Could it bring Denzel Mims into the conversation? Maybe. You know, you know, again, like if we were to if we're listening to, you know, the news out there, maybe it does. Maybe it pushes someone else up there. But if Rager goes to his, you know, pro day and runs a four three eight, you know, at a better at a lower weight, I think it'll be forgotten pretty quickly. Have we seen the video of his three cone drill yet? Because like, you know, like last year, but he was freaking out about DK Metcalf and his three cone. And then we saw the video like a couple days later and it was like him slipping through the drill. And that makes, I know some people like mock it, but that makes a massive difference when we're talking about decimals of seconds. No, I haven't seen anything yet. The NFL is very like tight lived on showing like three cone and 20 yard shuttles. Like I feel like. Back in the day, they used to have like a video feed on their website, like showing the vert jumps and the broad jumps. Like I'd be 
be I think the hardcore draft Knicks would be fascinated to have that just on the on the stream like you know on NFL.com or something but they never show any of those yeah it's so weird the three cone is one of the better drills for running backs and wide receivers yeah especially the type of wide receiver that Rager was going to be asked to be where yeah you get the ball in his hands and he can pick up steam and utilize his long speed but you did also have to have some of that start stop that you know agility all right so i think we're back to paul here and then and then i'll go with one last one here before we run out of time sure i'm gonna uh move it over to the tight end position not to pick on washington anymore but kind of going with the theme of guys that i think maybe added a little too much weight i think hunter bryant is a guy that people expected to test better i don't think people were expecting a 474 this is a guy basically who's a receiver playing tight end you watch him on film i like his play speed i like his movement skills so i was kind of expecting him to run like a four five five or a four five eight something in in that level speed and then he runs a four seven four which doesn't really match up with what i thought i saw on film i don't think he was 248 so i'm wondering if he wanted to try to show like more of like a prototypical tight end build and he put on some weight as well and maybe 10 pounds even like i thought his playing weight i think his listed playing weight i think was like 235 or 236 at washington so Maybe that's what he played with at Washington, and maybe he put on too much in the process. I never thought, I never really liked the comps to Evan Ingram. And I understood why people were going there, but Evan Ingram was much taller. And Evan Ingram, you could tell on his college film, was going to be a freak in terms of his 40 yard dash time and his overall athleticism. To me, I liked Hunter Bryant, but I think I always thought he was more of like a Jordan Reed. And I think right now, maybe even like a Trey Burden in terms of who his comparison is, in terms of he's not Evan Ingram's size. He doesn't have Evan Ingram's athleticism. I still think he's an intriguing guy I still think maybe he's on that round three round four border as we talked about before with a lot of tight ends but you're drafting him exclusively to be a move tight end to create mismatches and 474 for a guy who's going to be exclusively a pass catching tight end who doesn't have the size in the frame to you know hold up inside I though is a little disappointing I think it's going to hurt his stock a little bit he's another guy I'm excited to see at a pro day if they weigh him and we find out a different weight and then what is updated 40 time might be because I think I thought it was going to be more significantly lower than the 474. Well, Paul, I'm glad that you brought him up because he was actually the next guy that I was going to be talking about because I had the exact same concerns uh, with him. It was it was really confusing for him to come in at his added weight with the added, I mean, even strength too. He benched more than I thought he was going to and then comes out and runs a slower 40 than what I thought he was going to or what showed up on tape. And so for me, it was mostly just going to be like, I don't know what to do with this guy now, right? I think he's kind of in between positions where I don't think he's an inline blocker with his size, but yet I don't think he has the speed to be that move tight end now. So it's kind of this, okay, what do we do with him? So yeah, I'm really glad that you brought him up. For me, I'll close out with kind of these guys who saw their stock decline. I'll go with Jake Fromm out of Georgia. Now for quarterbacks, we talk about combine performances and the the 40 yard dash, these you know broad jumps, whatever. They really don't carry much, much weight, specifically when we're looking at them for fantasy football. But there are two things that happened during the combine that I want to point out with Jake Fromm. One was his hand measurement at eight and seven eighth inches. That's small for a quarterback. We just have to acknowledge it. Like these guys, yes, it can they can make it work and you know, but it's one of those things where we're looking at these these prospects and we're trying to put all these little puzzle pieces together to put together this this puzzle, this picture of who this prospect is, who this player can be in the NFL. And for me, with that hand size, it's concerning. It's something where I'm 
kind of taking it into context and just saying like, okay, it's concerning to come in under nine inches. And then the other thing was just watching the on-field drills with Jake Fromm. He really did not have enough arm strength to be, you know, matching up. And and I, I was listening to, I can't remember who it was, but I was listening to something and they were talking about just alphabetically, he came right after Jacob Eason and throwing, which is just so unfortunate for him, right? To come right after the guy with probably the strongest arm in the class. So with Jake Fromm, he does not have an elite arm. I saw enough on tape for him to be very, like very good in the short to intermediate areas of the field. But does he have enough arm strength to work in the NFL and to get the ball downfield? I just, I don't know. And so I came into the combine really liking Jake Fromm. I'm leaving it now with question marks. It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, dropping him down to quarterback 10 or anything like that. But it's just for me going, I have more question marks with Jake Fromm than what I did going into it. Tags, do you have, I know you liked him too. Did you have kind of the same concerns there? I do. And uh, one of the things is like, it's like almost like the stock market. When people talk about the stock market, perception is reality. Okay. And when it's perceived that he has some struggles with his arm strength and, and, you know, can he move to the next level and make some of the throws, make all those throws. And then when you have someone like a hall of famer, Kurt Warner, come on the broadcast and say, what do you think about Jake from, do you have concerns about him? Like, what do you think about him? And he starts talking about the lack of arm strength and not, not positive that he can make the throws that he needs to make in the NFL. That is perception. Okay. And perception, we know that that these NFL coaches watch these broadcasts that happens like the GMs watch these broadcasts and they're hearing Kurt Warner talk about him. It is going to lower his stock. We saw nothing but love. We didn't talk about him because we, we talked about Jordan love on the podcast uh, in the last podcast saying that this guy's going to dominate the combine. It should not change your view on him because there's nothing, there's no mental processing going on at the combine. All we heard was that Jordan love is the greatest thing alive. We actually heard on that broadcast. Someone compare him to Patrick friggin Mahomes. That was the worst thing. That was cringe. Like, stop it. Stop it. Jordan Love is not a quarter of the quarterback that Patrick Mahomes is. But Jake Fromm, unfortunately, did lose stock. He's probably going to fall into the second round, maybe even third round after that combine uh, with some of the concerns that were around him. Now the perception has been there. And it seems like Jordan Love moved up. Jalen Hurts moved up. Uh, even Justin Herbert actually looked better than I thought he would. With his accuracy, he had a, his first throw, went to the dirt, and then it was like almost like he was overthinking it. He was aiming. But then he loosened up a little bit and he looked better. But yeah, it was uh, for quarterbacks altogether. I, I feel like it's it's an area for me where you can hurt your stock more than you can help it. And Fromm was one of those guys that I definitely felt like he hurt it. Yeah. Paul, do you have any thoughts there on Jake Fromm as we kind of wrap up this conversation? Yeah. I mean, I just when you watched him on the on-field drills, it looked like he was putting everything he had in every single throw to try to show off that he had the arm talent. And that I think is something that was concerning. Even when you watched him on film, it was one of those things that he could be a really good game manager and, and do what you're asked to do. But I think that's going to be limited to a specific offense that you're willing to do that. And, you know, He's a guy who I think will still go on day two, but I think Tag said, you know, probably round three more than round two now. I think there's four quarterbacks that are going in the top 15. I think Jacob Eason could still sneak into the round one as well if someone falls in love with the arm talent. But now I think Jake Fromm is now in the mix with Jalen Hurts to be the sixth quarterback taken off the board. And I could even see a team looking at Jalen Hurts' athleticism and developmental potential and say, you know what? Jalen Hurts can do different things for our team and we could still try to develop him to be a quarterback and his ceiling might be higher than Jake Fromm. So now I think the conversation before the combine was who's the fifth quarterback, Jake Fromm or Jacob Eason. And now I think we leave the combine and I think it's more now 
well, is Jake Fromm the sixth quarterback or is he the seventh quarterback in terms of him or Jalen Hurts? And that's kind of, I think, you know, the re- the reality of the situation with Jake Fromm. Real quick, Paul, before we before we close this out, did you so you think Jordan Love's going top fifteen? Yeah, I think he's going. I think he's I think he's going in that that trio of teams in the early teens that needs a quarterback. I I do I do because to me it's to me they're looking past completely the 2019 film and his production this year, and they're looking at the 2018 film where he was much better and he lost his all his receivers, his running back, most of his O-line, most of his coaching staff. And I think they're kind of giving him a free pass, right or wrong. I did like his 2018 film a lot. He was a guy that I had on the round one, round two border before the season started. Now, I will grant that his 2019 film leaves a lot to be desired. And I think, you know, the NFL is trying to separate, you know, what they saw in 2018 in terms of the upside and the tools and the traits compared to what then they saw in 2019. And I think he's going to get drafted almost as if 2019 honestly didn't happen. And he's going to be drafted exclusively on the the traits, but he's a guy that whoever drafts him, you know, a team like the Colts would make some sense if they go get Phillip Rivers for a couple years. One second, Yates. Like, just because I, I, I feel the need. Like, so so if we ignore 2019, Albert O should go, like, at the end of the first round. Because that 4-4-9 four, that, four, four, that he ran, it's like his speed score was ridiculous for his size. His tape in 2019 sucked. I liked it in 2018. But just to Jordan Love, if he goes to the Colts, let's pretend that happens. He goes to the Colts at 13. He will be a quarterback to draft in fantasy football. Like, mark my words, like, I will probably rank him maybe the highest in terms of that because there is potential here, especially if you put him behind that offensive line. He's going to run the ball a little bit. It's nuts to think he can go top 15, but it kind of makes sense, I guess. With Jordan Love, the thing to keep in mind is that he has an incredibly high ceiling, which is kind of the same argument. And this is where I see the Patrick Mahomes. I'm not in any way comparing him to Patrick Mahomes. What I'm saying is, with his college, we have to remember that Patrick Mahomes was not fantastic in college. Like there were a lot of concerns about him coming out, and that's why we saw him fall. You know, as far as he did, and for it, when the Chiefs traded up to get him, you know. So I think with Jordan Love, an incredibly high ceiling, but one of the lowest floors out of any quarterback in this class. You know, we could be talking about a complete bust at the position, or we could be talking about you know a potential top fifteen quarterback in the NFL. It's just. I think it's just who Jordan Love is and all these kind of, you know, situations and circumstances go together to try to figure out what he's going to be at the next level. So, yeah, I'm interested to see where he goes. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. Again, huge thank you to Paul Perdikizzi for coming on the show. Remember to follow him on Twitter at Pauly23NY. That's P-A-U-L-I-E-2-3-N-Y. For Mike Taglier and Paul Perdikizzi, I'm Kyle Yates, and we'll see you next time. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve